There's also just something as simplistic as a fried green tomato done correctly. Because most places, your fried green tomatoes are, are sliced razor thin. They're mm-hmm. battered, frozen in advance. The, the freeze destroys the cellular interior of that tomato. You're basically eating fried mush. You got to cover it in a bunch of sauce. And then you go, what's the, why did someone make a movie about this garbage? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yep. I'm Delia Cologne, and this is The Zest. Citrus, seafood, Spanish flavor, and Southern charm. The Zest celebrates cuisine and community in the Sunshine State. Today, dig into some Southern comfort food. Mm, but hold the bacon. We're getting to know the founder of the plant-based Florida restaurant chain, Dharma Southern Kitchen. Thank you for eating up the latest episode of The Zest. WUSF Public Media also offers a delicious podcast focused on arts and culture in the Sunshine State. The Arts Access Florida podcast highlights arts and cultural organizations right here in Florida. Learn more about these unique institutions, how you can be a part of upcoming events, and so much more. For a culturally enriching experience, subscribe to the Arts Access Florida podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or visit artsaccessflorida.org. That's arts, A-X-I-S-F-L dot org. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Community Foundation Tampa Bay. Chef and entrepreneur Sean Noonan is the founder of Dharma Southern Kitchen. It's a quickly expanding chain of restaurants with locations in Orlando, Sanford, and Tampa. And here's the kicker. It's all 100% plant-based Southern comfort food. Yep, you heard that right. And Sean would put his food up against any other. I've had the Nashville hot chicken, picture air quotes around chicken. And let me tell you, it is crispy. It's got the pickles. It's everything you would want a chicken sandwich to be, but without the actual chicken. I'm looking at the menu online. There's also Florida fried green tomato, biscuits and gravy, barbecue cauliflower, mac and cheese. Again, picture more air quotes. You get the idea. So Sean recently spoke with my colleague, Andrew Lucas, who's usually behind the scenes editing interviews that I conduct and making me sound good. But today, Andrew is chatting with Sean about his upbringing as an army brat and how that gave Sean just a mind-blowingly different perspective of what food could be. Sean also talks about the growth of vegan food in mainstream culture and why vegetable-forward options have always had a place at the Southern dinner table. Here's Andrew's conversation with Sean Noonan. So I was reading through your website and your history. You know, I got to confess, Sean, that I was struggling a little bit to come up with topics for conversation today because your background is so typical. You know, it's just the usual story of riding motorcycles and cooking fine dining cuisine in Bulgaria and Hare Krishna temples and driving an 18-wheel <laughs> semi-truck and opening a vegan hot dog cart. And I was like, man, this interview is, I don't even know what to talk about here. So <laughs> could you, could you, We're us, it. I mean, that sounds fascinating. So tell me about your history a little bit. Sure. Well, yeah. I mean, I was I was born into an army family. My father at the time was not, but he he rose all the way up to the ranks to a full colonel. I was raised in a in an Italian family, um, so you know, cooking has and it's just sort of always been the epicenter of everything. You know, like the entire social dynamic of any meeting or or you know family gathering happens around the kitchen. We don't leave the kitchen. <laughs> I don't think actually. Yeah. Uh, and the person that's running the kitchen is sort of running the show. 
So I've, I've always sort of looked up to the person who had the ability to, to do all those things and, and learning some of those skills was, was a high priority for me, even as a child. I've been in the industry for a, a significant amount of time uh, from, I, I don't know any other way to put it, to put it short. <laughs> How do you wind up from there to cooking in Bulgaria? I went to culinary school in, I started in Orlando in the Cordon Bleu in the uh, mid 2000s. And to put it politely, Orlando at the time had, had nothing that would entertain anybody that was actually looking into culinary. It was, it was a Darden ran town pretty much, you know? Um, so I left, <laughs> I, I, I was like, I, I need to go finish this education somewhere else. And there was the Cordon Bleu in Chicago, a culinary uh, Mecca. So I transferred over to there. I got lucky. I got into some Michelin star restaurants as stage almost as soon as I hit the ground. I'm very persuasive when, when, I, when I want something. So Graham Elliott, he opened up a spot and I literally had to sit on the front steps with a book for like five hours before they figured out I wasn't going away. And the, the sous chef came out and was like, you're not leaving, are you? I was like, nope. <laughs> so they, they took me in and put me to work. It was the right time in the right place. And I learned just an amazing level of hospitality, service, cleanliness, recipe, taste, flavor profiles, sourcing. It was a crash course in things that Le Cordon Bleu would never have dared teach. I did not envision having my own restaurant at this stage in the game. Um, I was just exclusively looking to move up the ranks. And I was focusing on San Pellegrino top 50 kind of international locations. And that's why I went to Bulgaria, mm. you know, because you need international experience, you know? Mm -hmm. And at the time I wanted something that stood out. It mm -hmm. was a, it was another planet that I basically uh, arrived on. And, um, and Bulgaria is just such an amazing place. Expression is just everywhere. And it, it's a little unknown secret spot. I, I always say, and I haven't been all over the entire world, but from the places that I have been, Bulgaria is the best hidden secret wow. in, uh, on, on the map right now, for sure. That's amazing. Well, okay. So that all is still very interesting, but it leads you to opening this vegan hot dog cart and then eventually to opening Dharma, which I want to get into. But how do you get into veganism? Was it just a matter of, well, I want something different. I want to stand out. I want to find a niche as a chef. Or is it something deeper than that? I've never had an aversion to eating vegetables, ever. One of our many polarized American personalities is the, I don't eat vegetables thing. You know, like I only eat meat. I'm literally a carnivore. Like, okay, guy, if you're a carnivore, you're going to, first off, you're going to be very unhealthy. It's not going to last for very long. And I always, you know, I always, I'll just, I openly make fun of those people because I'm like, homeboy, you've never had an apple before? Okay, congratulations, you know? <laughs> They're delicious. You haven't had, you haven't had french fries before, you know? <laughs> so, like, uh -huh. why are you fighting this? Um, but I, I've, from a very early age, been exposed to various aspects of vegetarianism and veganism. And I have been vegetarian, vegan, pesca, back and forth almost my entire life. Let's pause a little bit there. So that's good for our audience. So let's define some of these things. So what, what does that mean, pescatarian, vegetarian, vegan? Pescatarian would be uh, vegetables and, and basically things from water. You know, mm -hmm. fish, mollusks, crustaceans, things to that effect. Vegetarianism, nothing alive at all. Strictly vegetables. But the byproducts are still acceptable, such a, like a byproduct would be cheese mm -hmm. or milk or honey, things like that, where you're not actually consuming the creature, but just a byproduct of their efforts. Uh, veganism 
is the no byproducts, exclusively vegetables only. That the, in, the, the shortest way for me to describe all of these mm-hmm. things together. No, that's that. great. That's great. So, okay, so you're coming from these Michelin star restaurants. You're cooking with probably very high end ingredients. So, did you go down the typical pesca vegetarian vegan path for for you? You know what I think it was honestly. I think that it was you know one like I you know I, I was vegan for the longest time, and and I think at the time I was not for a few years and then I went back uh, later on and I, I just gravitate towards disruption. Mm-hmm. And at the time in the um, late two thousands, it was when everybody was a craft beer enthusiast with a damn pig tattoo on them. It was like every chef had uh, you know, like a pig tattoo on their forearm. Mm-hmm. Everybody worshiped Anthony Bourdain and mm-hmm. snout the tail was the biggest thing. And I was like, you guys, are taking this way too far because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I was like, as a culinarian, I, and I always make this analogy. We acceptably eat in in our society, in American society, maybe four animals, but vegetables. There's there's thousands and thousands of them. So just strictly looking at it from a chef's perspective and focusing exclusively on four or five ingredients, you're just expressing your inability to be a culinarian at that stage of the game. You're taking pride in it. So I wanted to go the complete opposite route. Some of the places that I was working, you know, oh, hey, we got a vegan on table four. And the whole kitchen would groan and roll their eyes. And I'd be like, what's the problem, man? So Mm -hmm. they would always stick me on that. And I'd knock it out of the park. And they'd be so thankful. And, you know, this, again, this is is 15 years ago. There there wasn't an easy impossible patty to throw Mm -hmm. on a plate or something like that. I was literally in the back working with raw flour making seitan to yep. order at, um, at specific points in time and mashed potatoes and grilled veggies and all that kind of stuff. And you'd go out there and they'd be like, oh my gosh, this is actual food. I thought you guys were going to do the, the grilled veggie trio. So that's a perfect segue into, ironically, the meat of our conversation here. So I'm a big fan of Dharma. My wife and kids are too. We discovered it when we first moved to Tampa a few years ago. And Thank you. Um, really enjoyed it a lot. And I've brought family there when they've come down to visit. It's great. It struck a chord with me for a number of reasons. One, that it's just delicious and it's different. But two, it was clearly to me, as somebody who enjoys food and food culture, it was very ambitious because as you well know, Southern cuisine is is known for such a heavy cultural lineage and it's got such rich and complicated flavor profiles. But a lot of that, at least historically, has been derived from animal products, you know, pork, lard, chicken, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And even further than that, fans of Southern cooking can be very fiercely loyal (laughs) and very strict about historical traditional recipes. So when you were developing the concept for Dharma, why did you decide to focus and target? I mean, maybe it's that disruption you're talking about, but but why did you decide to focus on the Southern cuisine and how did you approach it from a vegan perspective while still honoring that culinary heritage that came before so it was 100% me just wanting to uh, take on the biggest challenge I could possibly think of, you know, at the time. Just, I appreciate just, that. I wanted to, to challenge myself. And at the time, I had not even thought of multiple locations. You know, I was going to be blessed if five people showed up on a daily basis. And the way that we wanted to, you know, pay respect to the, because we didn't want to reinvent Southern food in a plant-based fashion. Mm-hmm. But when you really take apart all cooking, really, let's talk about, you know, flavor profiles in Southern cuisine, you know, like mm-hmm. one smoked doesn't come from an animal. <laughs> you know, yep. Smoked is, veg- is vegan. What happens in the caramelization of barbecue sauces 
is because of the sugars that were placed into those barbecue sauces. The sugars that got into those barbecue sauces came from fruits and vegetables. So, you know, we, we call it the myoid reaction. It's, you know, the, the, the flavor profile that comes off of caramelized sugars. You know, barbecue sauce is a raw sauce until you cook it. Mm-hmm. And that's what that low, slow scenario does. The rest of the low, slow tenderizes the interior of your protein. But when we're talking about vegetables, we get to bypass that part for the most part. So you're really talking about how to really develop that exterior flavor profile of your caramelized sugars and your smokes. Um, and we can get these same profiles from onions. We can get them from a myriad of vegetable-based sources. And so when I started really getting into, this is sort of like, it was sort of like a byproduct of that like molecular gastronomy oh, scenario sure. that was happening in the early 2000s. But mm-hmm. we're really starting to tear things apart saying, okay, like why does what do what, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, by no means would I call Dharma I'm a molecular brand by any means. But the thought process comes from being able to really get into the root of why things are happening and where can I replicate these things from without getting into like, you know, weird chemicals and all Mm -hmm. those kind of things. So, but you know, and then there's also just something as simplistic as a fried green tomato done correctly because most places your fried green tomatoes are are sliced razor thin. They're Mm -hmm. battered frozen in advance. The the freeze destroys the cellular interior of that tomato. You're basically eating fried mush. They got to cover it in a bunch of sauce. And then you go, what's the, why did someone make a movie about this garbage? <laughs> you know, like, yep. So, yep. you know, so, you know, like if you just do things correctly and treat food with the level of respect that not only it deserves, but the customer deserves, you know, you're, you're 80% across the goal line. I love that. The game. I think that's absolutely right. That that's, you described, I mean, not only for me, literally fried green tomatoes, but also okra. Like I used to hate okra and I realized it's because I was being served terrible okra. <laughs> that's it. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I had that aha moment with a tomato. I hated, even though I come from an Italian family, ketchup sauces and things like that. No problem. An actual slice of tomato. I think I was in my, I think I was 19 or 20 before someone put an heirloom in front of me and seasoned it with salt and pepper and was like, this is what tomato is supposed to taste like. And I tasted it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> well, so, okay, so you opened Dharma. It's, it's been very successful. You know, only in my little experience, having brought some guests there, they had the reaction that I sort of expected, which was vegan food, what? And then we tried it and they were like, oh, this is actually really delicious. So, I mean, none of that was surprising to me. But have you found generally that people have embraced the concept and the food or did you experience, I mean, again, with, you know, Southern food being such a, a hot issue, did you find backlash from people or what was the experience when it opened? Actually, we did not experience the backlash that I had presumed. And I think that that had to do with opening in, you know, Orlando is a, is a modern metropolitan environment. And it's, you know, we, we, we didn't immediately start out, out in the woods, really trying to alter people's culture almost, mm-hmm. you know, but even, you know, we have opened up places more towards rural Florida. You know, we've got a location out in Sanford right now that does well. People are open-minded to it. I think that the days of, I ain't eating that stuff, I, I think that that's gone. I yeah. think that we've, we've just phased out of that. Or, or rather, those people have just sort of aged out of being part of the majority of, of commerce in do general. Do you think, you I know? mean, that was actually one of the questions I had as, as an entrepreneur in this position. Do you feel like as a culture particularly in America, that we've turned some kind of corner in terms of pop culture acceptance of veganism. It doesn't seem so weird anymore. Not that it no, ever the, was, but you know I'll, what I mean? No, I'll, I'll, no, I'll give you that. It was weird for a long time. My biggest goal is, is to mainstream uh, veganism into the national dialogue. When you turn to your significant other, your partner, your best friends, whatever, and you have that conversation that most of us have multiple times a week of what are we going to eat? And we start rifling through 
these topics where, you know, like, okay, well, Chinese sushi, Thai barbecue, you know, but vegan is never part of that conversation. And it's because it, up until recently, it honestly, it didn't deserve a spot in that conversation because it was more that you would just go eat it either if you had an exclusive ethical commitment to eating nothing but that, or you were basically trying to punish yourself. Like your doctor finally had that conversation with you. You were like, dude, you gotta, mm-hmm. you gotta eat more vegetables. And then you just go to these places and they'd, tr- they'd, they'd feed you hummus with a collared wrap around it and some sprouts. And they tried to tell you it was food. And it's just like, that has changed significantly in the last five years. And, and uh, even going back up to, I think, about 10 years um, mm-hmm. ago, and there's definitely restaurants that have been doing it previous to that as well. But as far as like people saying, OK, we're going to we're going to treat this as a real cuisine. You know, Noma went vegan for an entire season. Eleven Madison Park is is entirely yeah. a vegan restaurant now, one of the best restaurants in the entire planet. You know, yeah. Alan DeCoste has been doing vegetables for decades and no one paid attention to him doing it. So I think it's finally got its foot in the door. And we're going to see those residual effects now. But I, I think that, you know, if, if you talk to somebody between the ages of 35 and, and 15 right now, and you said, um, let's go get vegan food, I, I think it would be almost a faux pas for them to recoil in horror. Like mm-hmm. it would be common to do uh, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, I agree. I have carnivorous friends. I have vegetarian friends. And I think we all think it's weird when we go out to eat somewhere and there isn't any vegetarian or vegan option that just seems passe maybe at this point but even my dad and you know he's i grew up in the midwest you know he grew up on the east coast we grew up a pretty meat-eating family and and even he dabbled in it just for health reasons so what's your advice for folks that are looking to introduce more vegan food into their diet and i guess kind of related to that aside from side dishes and salads and that sort of mentality how do you approach specifically a vegan main course it, that's funny because while you were asking the question, I was going to sort of take apart the idea of a main course. You know, like <laughs> well, there you go. We 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 get we get our concept of, of of main courses from I think Russian dinner service. You know, like but traditionally, historically, you know, small plates is where most of our our, our cultural cuisines have came from, and that's how. I mean, we definitely serve sandwiches and sides, and and the idea of having mains. But when we think about a main, you're thinking about that four to six ounces of of the animal meat right on the center of your plate. Like there's no way around that. So we really got to th- think about, okay, well, what's going to replace that? And what are we really replacing? Are we replacing nutritional content or are we replacing flavor profile or both? If I can get the nutritional content from for everything from, well, everyone, you know, the thing that we always harp on protein, most of the protein that animals eat come from the vegetables that they eat. It, the animal is just a catalyst between point A and point B. And, and the strongest animals on the planet are vegan. You know, the gorillas, elephants, you know, you don't see packs of elephants running around, you know, hunting deer, you know, know, being even a carnivorous animal is is somewhat of a evolutionary uh, roadblock because, you know, most creatures haven't really gotten beyond that. That's why we're omnivorous and why, you know, the great cats of the Serengeti and everything like that, they're, they're still just cats millions and millions and millions of years later. So intellectually, that all makes sense. But meanwhile, let's say you are attending a let's say a holiday dinner and you know, it can be an awkward time for dietary restrictions or Thanksgiving, of course, got to have a Turkey. How do you, those folks that don't want to do the Turkey, is there something easy that is sort of a gateway food to maybe help people incorporate veganism more into their everyday life or to make them see it in a different way? 
Sure, sure. So, well, one, I mean, there's a myriad of grocery store ready products, Just, you know, from the the Beyond Brats that came out two years ago. Those things are amazing. Really and they can, they can do, you could do, I mean, you can tear them apart and, and, and stir fry them up. You can slice them up and have a whole thing there. Um, you know, and, and you know, I, I try to stay away from, you know, Tofurky was a wonderful brand, is a wonderful brand. They served a wonderful sort of, um, stepping stone for everybody to get from point A to point B. And, I, and I've had many Tofurkeys during my, my life at the various Thanksgivings. But I mean, even the name sounds goofy. You know, it's like, it's like, and, and it doesn't actually, you know, it's just gluten, just gluten with some stuffing inside of it. You know, if you really want to mimic your meat, you're in a little bit of a, of a pickle there because it's not meat, it's vegetables. My go-to is portobello mushrooms. Okay. I think the portobello mushroom is so diverse I can make a, a flank steak mock-up from that. I can just I can stuff it and just appreciate it as a mushroom itself. I can I can slice it a million different ways. I can do all kinds of stuff with a portobello. It has, but it really has though. It has that density that you're looking for in your um, your mouthfeel of uh, animal protein, and it also mm-hmm. has a huge umami factor, which is the other thing that we're really getting out of when we consume animal meats. It's easy to find. Actually, that's a that sort of leads into my next question. Do you have a good recipe? for vegetarian or a really vegan gravy because like i've used the packets i've you know mine it, it, it comes out bland or even if i'm using stock it comes out just sort of whatever ish do you have like a killer gravy recipe oh well so that, that can, i can talk about this for 30 minutes but the short version onions onions and roux that that is but you got to treat your onions correctly you got to take them down to caramelized levels you got to toast your flour a little bit before you get because you're building these flavor profiles and eventually you throw a lot of stuff together with enough salt, white pepper, and a little bit of fat, a little olive oil, and, and you're pretty much golden. You know, you, then after that, I'd like to get, I can church things up with various spices. Like, you know, do I want to add some smoked paprika in there and give it a weirdo mm-hmm. flavor? Do I want to go chili powder or some a rasala newts or something like that? And so, mm-hmm. but the base of just using um, onions and garlic as well. Our onions, garlic, and flour can accomplish a ton and time. A ton. Those are magical ingredients. Yeah, it's time. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, this, that's great because, you know, again, none of that, I think, for folks that maybe are thinking, well, gosh, vegan food, I don't know. Maybe they think it's weird or it's just too, maybe it's too much work or I don't think it has to be. I think you're really emphasizing that, that it can be, you can treat a portobello mushroom just like you would a sliced piece of meat or you can make gravy using vegetarian broth rather than the, the meat broth. So I don't think it has to be a radical reinvention, as you said. I think that's very smart. Well, you know, we're getting into Please. summertime here. Any easy to grab or easy to make picnic food or beach foods that people could take or make? You know, there's all kinds of thought processes on picking out your watermelon. But once you've decided which one looks right and has the right webbing and the right color and smells the right way and sounds the right way when you knock on it, salt and pepper your watermelon. <laughs> You'll never go back. Or just throw some mint on it and it's a whole nother world. Whole nother world. And that's perfect for summer. We're about to actually get back into... We, we do our mint watermelon salad during the summer. And we're, we're about to activate that back onto our menu for the next couple of months. Oh, that sounds great. Well, Sean, it's been a total pleasure talking with you today. I'm a big fan, as I said, and I really encourage everybody to check out Dharma Kitchen. So you have a Dharma Foundation. Do you want to talk about that at all? Does well, that- yeah, our Florida Dharma Foundation is sort of our, you know, our give back. Now, I think it's the most important thing in the world to when your community has been given you the privilege of when, when people give us money, when they buy things from us, you know, they're voting with their dollar. And then it's up to us of where do we spend that money so we can continue that cycle of positivity. And so that's where the Florida Dharma Foundation comes in. We want to be stewards of the communities that are helping us out. So we've began 
to adopt a rounded up at the register option for guests. So, you know, if your meal is a $10.58, you can round up that extra 42 cents to the nearest dollar, $11. And what we do is we then put those funds back into the community through various ways, but of the specific location where it came from. So if you're dining at our Dharma Market on South or uh, the vegan hot dog cart by Dharma on Orange Avenue in, in downtown Orlando, those donations would go to various programs in that area. Tampa would go to Tampa, Sanford goes to Sanford, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it really helps us not only give back, it, it's also sort of a personal mission of mine to sort of boast about what I've termed conscious capitalism. I think that that's a, a way that we could sort of start looking at things in new light. I mean, people a lot of them, oh, well, that's just business. You know, the, the general tagline, oh, that's just business. And it's just an excuse to do horrible things. Like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> you, know? you, can, yeah. you can be business savvy. You could be a, you can have a capitalistic endeavor and positively benefit your surroundings. And we've just been programmed to think that those two things are, are not accomplishable side by side. So that's what the Florida Dharma Foundation is. And it really helps our staff. They're able to feel good about what they're doing. Um, our general managers are in control of, of where those funds are allocated. So they get to sort of have a bigger part of the community as well. And I, honestly, I'm, I'm trying to really set a blueprint to where I can show some of my other folks in the restaurant industry and, and basically say, well, why isn't everybody doing this? So that, that's a, the Florida Dharma Foundation is a little bit of our, our give back charity philanthropy project that we hope as our footprint grows throughout the state those coffers are going to get much, much larger to where we can start having some, some serious impact. Sound business and good ethics don't have to be mutually exclusive. So I, that's really exactly. good. I like that. Exactly. I like that. Exactly. Well, and I, 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 you know, could talk to you all afternoon. I hear you got plans to expand as well. Any plans to come down my way near Cape Coral, Fort Myers? So what we're doing right now is we're getting our second Tampa location lined up. Okay. And uh, we're also getting into what we you know, what we call the tourist corridor, of Orlando. And yep. that's going to sort of wrap up our 2022. Now, 2023, we do. We want to expand our Gulf Coast footprint and also get into South Florida. So we're coming. Oh, that's great. My wife was mad that this was over the internet. She's like, was really expecting me to come home with a bucket of your delicious not fried chicken. <laughs> so. <laughs> so anyways, Sean, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. Andrew, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me today. That was Dharma Southern Kitchen founder Sean Noonan chatting with Possessed's editor extraordinaire and occasional interviewer, Andrew Lucas. I'm Delia Colon. Andrew and I produce The Zest with help from Chandler Balcom, who, by the way, graduated with his master's degree from USF earlier this week and still found time to upload this episode for your enjoyment. Congrats to Chandler and everyone in the class of 2022. We also get help from Mark Hayes, who mixes our on-air promos that you'll hear if you listen to WUSF 89.7 FM in Tampa Bay. And she's back. Our intern, Hannah Abdel-Majid, is now our permanent co-worker and social media specialist. So congrats to Hannah. So much good news this week. The Zest is a production of WUSF Public Media, copyright 2022.